Welcome to the People's Revolution podcast. This is the space where we share stories from activists around the world. We hope that these stories inspire you to act locally as we share globally. Welcome to the People's Revolution podcast. We're going to start with a land acknowledgement. I would like to recognize that we are on stolen land, previously and rightfully the home of the Blackfoot Nations, now home of Treaty 7. This land is the traditional territories of the Blackfoot Nations, where the Six of Gates at Zippy lived and practiced their oral traditions as far back as existence goes. These nations are Siksika, Gaina, and Pigani. Treaty 7 was signed on September 22, 1877 in a brutally unethical way. Treaty 7 included the Sutina Nation, Stony Nakoda Nations, and Métis Nations Region 3. So, this space should be rightfully called, and is rightfully called, Mokinsis. Today, we have Zoe Lambert, owner of Abscision Wellness. Abscision Wellness creates children's activity and wellness books, and 10% of her profits go to the Fields of Wheels charity. Zoe has a background in psychology and addiction and is an advocate for mental health, mindset, harm reduction, and community. Thank you for being on the show. <laughs> Thank you for having me. <laughs> I'm so excited. Me too. I, I want to hear your story. What brought you to the activism that you have today? Um, I think I can start off with talking about my childhood. I was a mentally ill child. I think I had my first panic attack when I was eight years old. Um, and my parents had no clue what was going on. I think they, they were a little flabbergasted and, um, my mental illness um, progressively got worse as I was growing up um, due to a lot of trauma that I um, faced as a child as well. Um, but there was no one who, you know, stopped me or took me aside and said, hey, like, is anything like is everything going well? Um, and I think by when I was 13, I started doing drugs. I was quite addicted um, until I was about, about 20. And, um, I had my, I had my daughter when I was, um, 19 and she was definitely, um, a force of change. I definitely wanted to change all, all my ways for her. She was like, she saved me. Um, but I didn't know how to, because again, no one had taught me how to create a better life um, or help me, um, I guess, teach me tools to cope. Um, so I ended up in the hospital when I was 22 um, due to su suicide um, attempt. And I'm there. I learned all these beautiful coping mechanisms, all about boundaries, ev everything. And um, it really really made me wonder why I had to be, um, you know, almost killing myself before I learned um, these life lessons, um, which started my advocacy for mental health and um, 
harm reduction and um, making services way more accessible because even during my um, work life, I have um, run into the same problem that we are always helping people um, after after the trauma, after the addiction um, and such. And I've always wondered why there isn't preventative um, things in place to stop us from even getting there. Yeah. Yeah. So you saw what was necessary and you went for it and you're still going for it. And yes, <laughs> it's so, it's so important what you're saying. Like if we learned the skills that that you bring to children, which I'm very excited about in in abscission wellness, if we learned how our minds worked when we were kids, we wouldn't have, in my opinion, we wouldn't suffer as much as as we do as adults. And and I've been so excited to have this conversation with you since we met um, and since looking at your books. Um, with Ab- can you tell me a little bit more about abscission wellness? What does the name mean? Um, so the name means, um, so abscission is the natural process in which um, plants shed their leaves, their flowers. Um, and I thought it was just a good metaphor um, just for people who are shedding parts that no longer serve them, right? Um, because we tend to carry a lot of things with us that no longer um, serve us. Um, and, you know, it's abscission usually happens in the fall um, or the autumn. And my daughter's name is Autumn. And she's the reason for the reason I'm here, honestly, that I'm still here, that I'm happy and content with life. So I really wanted to dedicate all of it to her because without her, it wouldn't exist. Mm, that's beautiful. <laughs> um, and so the your books with Abscision Wellness donate 10% to the Feel of Wheels charity. What is the Feel of Wheels charity? So the Feels of Wheels charity is something that, you know, I've just thought up one day because um, part of my recovery is um, bicycling and just exercise in general. Um, And, you know, it gives me a free form of transportation, especially in this pandemic. And I thought, you know, there's a lot of people that can't afford bikes, which is really sad, Um, especially since Calgary is beautiful and you can get to these most beautiful places just via our bike pass. Um, So I wanted to start a charity where I raised money um, either through pledges or direct donations or um, through donations of used bikes where I refurbish them in my basement. I have a lot of bikes in my basement right now. Um, And then I have a nomination um, system because I really wanted it to be a community type of thing where people in the community nominate people who are going through a rough time right now. And I really want to focus on people who either are experiencing adversity or have gone through adversity um, and, you know, give them a free bike, right? So they can have free recreation, free transportation around um, the city, because I think just small things like that can really have a ripple effect. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that is so cool. So cool. <laughs> I love that you do that. With abscission wellness and with, with your story and with your goals, how does harm reduction come into this? 
Um, oh, yes. Okay. So I, I can go on a little tangent now about this. So in a society, we are... Um, we are an addicted society. Um, we just have drugs or addictions that are acceptable versus not acceptable. Um, but if we think of our consumerist society as a whole, um, nonstop consuming is addiction, right? So it's literally at the core of our society. Um, so harm reduction is the way I see it. So why we have addictive um, tendencies is because we go through trauma and that um, ongoing trauma and trauma we always save for like war veterans or domestic abuse. That's not it. It's any ongoing stress that you feel like you don't have control over. And I think people experience that often, especially in today's society, right? There's a lot of things such as, you know, systemic racism, um, poverty, there's a, there's tons of large social issues that are out of our control and are traumatizing us. Um, so what happens is that we find um, that our prefrontal cortex shrinks. Um, and with our prefrontal cortex, we have all this executive functioning. And that's focusing, staying on task, um, language, logic, um, planning. Um, and with that shrinkage, then we have high risk behavior, very impulsive behavior. Um, and what harm reduction does is it essentially gives people a place where they can feel safe and um, protected by their community, um, which in turn um, starts neurogenesis in that prefrontal cortex. So, um, especially when we're talking about people who have, um, I guess, you know, bad addictions, right? They are um, destroying themselves and their bodies um, through their addiction and just leaving them to have the moral decision to get better is not scientifically based. Um, we need to have support for them at any stage of their addiction, Um and again, like we shouldn't be like trauma is very shameful. Like um, one, um, Teal Swan says that the biggest thing about um, go getting over trauma is not forgiving what happened. It's forgiving the person that you became um, after it. And if we are shaming people about who they are, we are literally just perpetuating that trauma um, so we need to change the narrative there. And especially since addiction is so common, again, there is just what is perceived to be good versus bad addiction, but, but all of it's not good. Yeah. Yeah. So what I'm kind of hearing is that like perceptions within society and within specific people are for lack of a, a better word is what, what is fucking with us. And what, yes. <laughs> we what we have to do is reflect internally with the different skills that come with reflecting with mindset and mental health and to find that space of giving a shit for other people and understanding other people. For sure. And I was just talking about this, actually, and it's um, I find that other people um, feel like they have superior brains 
Um, but they like, no, you just had maybe a superior environment in which you could flourish in, right? While other people don't have the essentials they need to flourish in. But, you know, it, you when you're working in the social services, you really see it that you, it takes one bad day. Um, just one bad day and everything can collapse, right? Um, it's not bad people whatsoever. It's just horrible things that happened that were out of their control and they did not have the support they needed to process and heal from it. So I, I honestly, yeah, I, I wish that more people would understand that if they were in the exact same situation, that their brain processes would be the exact same, right? Maybe like there's a genetic factor, um, but you know, trauma's trauma is uh, trauma. We all are affected from it. Maybe um, some of us have maybe this small genetic factor that we can be more resilient, but you know, not many people, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. And so judging people for their circumstances based on the outcome isn't really helpful, effective, or good. Yeah. Definitely, right? I hear you. And so how can people use mindset skills to navigate this? Um, oh, that's a big one. Uh, okay, so let me think of the levels that we can go into. So I think the first one is um, filtering our thoughts, right? Because um, we have tons of thoughts. Our brain is like a TV. That's what I explained in our book. It just kind of chatters on and on and on. And um, it never oh, stops. What, what book oh. are you talking about? <laughs> what book is this? The Thinking About <laughs> Thoughts <laughs> um, book that I had, um, I made for um, children. There's a lot of activities in it too that help them realize um like separate their thoughts. There's a lot of thoughts that are you um, and that you believe in, and that would be your controlled thinking. But there's a lot of thoughts called automatic thinking um, that is literally just indoctrination from, you know, which is not always a bad thing. Um, sometimes it's from role models um, that you grew up with, people that you surround yourself um, with. But media um, is a huge one. And um, considering we say, I, I forget how much, it's a ridiculous amount. I think it's like 5,000 advertisements a day. I actually think it's more, but I will say 5,000 to be safe. Um we're absorbing that. That is all working on a subconscious level. So if you're constantly um, being faced with advertisements that are telling you that you're not you're not perfect or you are missing without something, some, you know, beauty or you don't have um, connections or, you know, whatever they're trying to sell you at the same time, we're absorbing that and we are digesting it. And whenever we are a little bit um, elevated, that could be scared, sad, fear, um, all of that automatic thinking takes over. Um, our controlled thinking um, shuts off. Right. And that automatic thinking starts again. And um, with that automatic thinking, that's where all those negative thoughts can come from. Um, so learning to just sit there and filter and realize that some of your thoughts are not your thoughts is a huge step in the right direction, because then you can be like, wait a second, do I really believe this? Um, and that can be whether it is directed towards you 
um, or directed towards another person because, you know, prejudice literally lives in that automatic thought area, right? So just taking a second, yeah. Yeah, yeah. The thoughts come from your expectations normally. Mm. Not, <laughs> not yeah. from the current situation. I think that's something that's really important um, and something that I wish that was taught in high school um, core beliefs for your thoughts um, come at age like six to eight. And if you can teach someone how to navigate their thoughts at age six to eight, their core beliefs, that's won't, won't cause the, the trauma that most people in my age range. <laughs> for sure and um one of my other books um that I'm currently writing is um expressing myself and that's all about um you know building boundaries and learning how to communicate to other people because um I didn't have a lot of support when I was growing up so I built my own um support system and that's very natural um but the thing is, is because no one taught me what a healthy relationship was or how to have boundaries. I had a lot of toxic people and me, me too, me being toxic as well, being codependent on other people. Again, another form of addiction um, to do that. And I think it's really important for people to learn, um, you know, that they they can talk about what they want and what they don't want in our, their lives, especially children, right? Because we don't give children a lot of freedom to choose who they want to be, um, especially um, within modeling. Um, like, we model our parents, right? Or our guardians, whoever is taking care of us. Um, and sometimes we don't understand that is toxic, while it because it's so normalized um, with it, right? Because you grew up with it. That's all you had. Um, so a lot of my book is trying to just give them a fresh perspective of what is actually acceptable and what's not. So maybe that, you know, again, I don't, I don't imagine that they would absorb all the information, but some, sometimes we have to just plant seeds and hope they bloom later, right? Um, so just even having that beginner knowledge of, oh, okay, like this person is talking to me aggressively, right? They're talking to me like they're okay and I'm not okay. And I shouldn't accept that, right? <laughs> yeah. And this is a book that is coming out soon, right? Yes. Yeah, I would. I'm just doing the drawings right now. So hopefully within a month, it will be out there. <laughs> um, that's all good. That's amazing that you do all your own drawings as well. Yeah, yeah. Well, copyright, you know, gotta do it. <laughs> yeah. And so you have a second book that is available right now. Yes. What is that about? That's called Staying Calm. I guess kind of my favorite one out of all of them um just because i was in such elevated anxiety so long that you know i could I, I couldn't even filter my thoughts right it was just intrusive thoughts all the time um 
And once I learned these like grounding techniques that I um, teach inside this book, um, both I was able to calm myself so I could actually filter my thoughts so I could actually set goals. So I could use logic, understand that I need to set boundaries. Actually, you like language is in there too. So my language would shut down. So I would actually be able to communicate to other people. Um, So staying calm is like it both does breathing techniques. Um, and tons of breathing techniques that you can use. Um, but at the same time, I'm like, I've so many psychologists that's oh, just take 10 breaths. And it's like, well, I'm having an anxiety attack, so I cannot currently breathe. Um, so it's a lot of grounding techniques as well that you don't actually need um, to breathe for. Um, one that I use with my daughter is um, I'll draw letters on her back right? And she guesses the letters. Um, And that way she's just feeling something. She's processing it in real time. She's not thinking about, you know, whatever future possibility that she has anxiety about um, to um, get her back to grounded in this, in this reality, not her future reality. And um, also there's just the normal, you know, name three things you see, three things you feel like, you know, my chair on my um, butt and three things that um, I hear, right? And then like working it down. Um, that was a huge one that has helped me multiple times. Um, but just being mindful and present. Yeah. Yeah. And those are so important when it comes to mental health and mindfulness. Like, I don't even know how to stress enough and why I. Th- think it's important for this show is because I believe that there is, I almost want to call it like a mental health revolution, evolution. We're coming to a place where I think it's becoming more common knowledge that we're not driven by our thoughts and emotions. And this gives us a chance to change the narrative. Um, Like you were saying, like people really identify with their thoughts and with their emotions instead of realizing it's like a cognitive function. And it's been causing so much bias, so much racism, sexism, homophobia. I, It's all in there, systemically ingrained and systemically socialized. And Completely. And especially with all the um, like media that is just trauma, just pure trauma that we are digesting, either even through our TV shows, right? If there was not drama or trauma in our TV shows, they wouldn't be so exciting, which is kind of a double-edged sword, right? But we're just ingesting it, ingesting it. And I, a lot of people don't realize when they're experiencing, you know, anxiety or depression, because again, they've never been taught to even recognize their own thoughts that way. Um, or for, for me, like, I, I usually don't know I'm anxious. Um, but just being mindful of my body and how my body's reacting, right? So when I feel tightness in my neck, I know it, I'm like, oh, I'm anxious right now, right? Um, so just be mindful in general, right? We can start accessing those emotions, calming them down. So we can actually have, you know, logic instead of just acting on emotion, which um, I'm seeing a lot of nowadays, which that's understandable because it is, it's a frightening time, right? Yeah. 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 I also, I find it like the fear kind of puts people when they go into logic, sometimes like a really strict logic. 
And that's kind of, to me, the same as being in like a very emotional state. Like one is very strict thinking, one's very emotional thinking. And like to be in in the extremes of either one is something that I think we as a society are suffering pretty hard from right now. Um, For because sure. Okay, we're not validating each other's emotions. We're not listening to each other's logic and we're not we're not giving a shit. Uh, yeah <laughs> and I, I honestly it's it's funny because i i'm i always patterns like whatever we see at a macro level we see at a micro level and so what trauma does to the brain is it breaks down this corpus callosum and that's basically our communication center to the brain um so we are often when we're going through trauma we um we can be very logical while being super emotional at the same time, um, which is funny because it's really showing like at the macro level what's going on right now. Um, and that just that lack of communication um, between those two sides of society. Yeah, yes, definitely. I like that you said that, too, because I firmly believe that what goes on at a macro level um, at, like it affects the micro level and then the micro level affects the macro level and they reinforce each other. So if we're socialized by a system and we accept that socialization, we're going to continue to perpetuate that socialization. Mm -hmm. For sure. And I've noticed that. So like addiction, if we, if we try to like just tuck it away, repress it, like societally repress it and be like, nah, that's not a big deal. Like people will figure it out. It comes up. Like It's just like um, a human body. You cannot repress stuff. You have to process it or it's going to just keep coming up and coming up and coming up until we deal with it. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah, definitely. And that's something we see in Calgary right now, reflecting the same issues over and over and louder and weirder every time. <laughs> every time. I guess part of the human experience, I guess, <laughs> unfortunately. Yeah. But um, I, I think we also have to understand that sometimes um, – Sometimes it has to get really dark to see the light at the end of the tunnel, right? Um, so I think that's what we're going through right now is that it's getting really dark. Um, but, you know, in this, you know, juxtaposed um, reality that we are in, eventually it will lead to greater things, right? Um, more awareness about whatever it is, mental health prejudice, um, you know, poverty, all these things are coming to light. And that's why transitions are never nice. They never are. We can never just transition into it. Usually it's a big bang and a, a couple, you know, protests. And, you know, eventually we, we start doing things the way that we need to be doing things to heal, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So you're a big advocate for community, and I feel like that ties into a lot what we're saying right now. Um, what are your thoughts on, on combining your mindset activism and your harm reduction activism with community? Um, so community is the base of everything. Like um, we need community, um, especially more than ever right now. Um, and that is probably my biggest um I guess, criticism of our individualistic society. Um, 
teaching English um, for the longest time, I didn't realize how separated and isolated we were even before the pandemic. Um, but other cultures have showed me that, you know, like, it, it does take a village to even raise yourself, including a child, right? Like there are so many connections that are absolutely integral. And, um, you know, again, if we, so if we go through trauma, um, some people can go through trauma, ridiculous amounts of trauma and not be affected. And that's usually because they have social support cushioning um, it. And what actually happens is, so again, I was talking about the prefrontal cortex and how it's damaged, but community heals that. So it is literally a cushion against trauma. Um, any bad, um, side effects, positive relationships will regrow those synapses. Um, but on an evolution based as well, um, so we have three parts of our brain. We have, um, the reptilian brain that's just, you know, pure survival, um, you know, flight or fight, eat sex. Um, there's the mammalian brain. Um, and that's when we started, like, I guess going into packs, right. As most gorillas or other mammals are usually found in packs. And then we have this lovely neocortex. Um, then that's all our logic and what actually makes us human. Um, and there is social brain hypothesis, which is the ongoing, um, theory of evolution. And, it just states that because we started to um, create more complex relationships with each other, that's why our brains had to grow to accommodate all these new relationships um, that we were creating with each other. So if we are isolating um, and not helping each other out, um, we are literally going against evolution and we're not using that part of the brain as much, um, which causes it to shrink eventually. Um, and we can see that with the prefrontal cortex in the isolation that um, people with addiction go through. Interesting. And so again, tying community back to harm reduction, it sounds like community-based supports would actually be helpful to mental health. Oh, yes. Right. And, uh, you know, again, addiction um, and mental health are um, what, what our problem right now is that we always box things in separately and don't realize that in reality, we're not in boxes. Everything overlaps at once. And um, the big thing uh, with, um, I guess, regrowing that part of the brain. So we have intrusive thoughts. Like when we think of OCD, um, obsessive compulsive disorder, it's intrusive thoughts. And then they have a compulsive uh, compulsion to stop those thoughts. Addiction reacts very similar to that is that it's intrusive thoughts. And then we have a compulsion, right? Um, so then if we're healing again, all of that nice brain, that prefrontal cortex, that hippocampus, that corpus callosum, um, not mainly through community, the prefrontal cortex is community. Um, the hippocampus is a lot to do with, um, you know, learning, just learning new stuff in life. Um, the corpus callosum is actually music can really help playing a, a instrument will regrow that, um, slowly, but surely, um, just having, um, 
community not only will help the addiction, but it will help the mental health because the two are not separate. They're, they're together, right? They're um, anxiety, shame-based or trauma-based responses. Yeah. Yeah. And those are big feelings for our society. Like we, like you're saying, like we don't have community. We don't have those kind of connections or supports that would give us the space to not have those those shame guilt feelings like really 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 into us like the validation that we receive i would venture to say for most people has not done them well in our generation um but it is something that's changeable and it is something that's that's yes And I think it is fixable. I think what maybe has happened, um, just like viewing um, this pandemic and how, you know, stressful it was um, and is currently, um, looking at our grandparents, they probably went, they went through two world wars, um, a depression and a pandemic. It was literally tragedy after tragedy. And I can think it's understandable that they had to suck it up. Right. And that's kind of the mentality that we have still about mental health is just suck it up. There are people going through worse, which is true. Right. But that doesn't devalidate you know, every individual experience that has ever happened in the realm of mental health. Um, And I think that's what our parents were really taught is just, you know, like life is hard and it is. Um, And, you know, like, again, just keep going through it because that was the only option that they had. Um, But now that we have, you know, maybe there's still a lot of um, fluctuation within our economy, of course, right? But we have a lot of less people, you know, dying of starvation. Um, You know, our needs are, again, there's still a lot of work to be done. But there is a large amount of the populations that are closed, that are fed. um, And that means that we can start looking at further levels like mental health, right? Um, We have the ability to not worry about you know, day-to-day survival anymore. Um, So I think that's why a lot of these issues are now coming up. Mm -hmm. Definitely. They they are, right? We, we have, we have the capacity to make the changes. Yes. So what do you think, if you could change one system right now, if I gave you a button, I was like, Zoe, press this button, it's going to change this system. What system would that be and why? Um, That would be our education system, because um, if we started um, teaching, you know, mindfulness, intention, boundaries, um, you know, thinking about your thoughts early on, then people would have the tool set to build better relationships, which would, again, cushion them from trauma, right? So life is hard. There will be trauma. And that is that is without our control, right? But what we can do is build um, build a community in which to help us. Um, and our education system completely fails at that. Just completely. I, uh, that's why I'm writing these books, because they, they're not going to do it. I'm going to do it um, for them. Um, but I remember even when I was a child, again, like I was addicted to drugs, um, I was definitely um, doing 
a lot of things that should be like were questionable and such. And not one of my teachers was like, wow, Zoe seems to be traumatized. Like maybe we should get her some help. None of that. Like none of my teachers did that. And why there isn't trauma informed training um, within teach, like there might be now, but um I know in my, at my daughter's old school, there definitely was not. Um, and it probably depends on funding with districts and such, right? That whole poverty um, ghettoization of certain parts of our city. Um, yeah, like if, if we could be teaching, we could be producing healthier human beings and we wouldn't ha- be having these mass problems. Um, or maybe we would, but we'd be able to approach them a lot um, in a lot more healthier way. Um, there is, and I think one other thing about schools is that we're we're not taught how to interact with the, each other whatsoever. If I don't know if anyone went through high school or junior high, they know how hostile of a place it can be. Um, in back in ancient Greece, there was this guy named Epicurus, and he um, he had a bunch of really cool ideas, um, and was one of the first schools which was called the Garden to allow females and slaves um, into the teachings as well. And one of their major ones was friendship um, and creating friendship, and that was like one of his huge teachings. And he put it above sex and marriage because. Um, he said <laughs> sex and marriage can cause a lot of um, conflict, which is fair <laughs> and such, and that we should really be focusing on just making friends um, with the people around us, um, because that is how we create utopia. Yeah. What do you think, what do you think needs to happen for real change in our communities to happen? like integrating mental health, integrating harm reduction, integrating giving a shit. What do you think that the major shift needs to be? Um, I think, again, kind of abolishing the individualistic system that we currently are in. Um, The big thing with prejudice in general, whether it be racial, whether it be against people who are using drugs, um, uh, really anyone that you could be prejudiced against, um, it's just a lack of exposure um, to that group because we cannot, so we have stereotypical thinking with, again, indoctrinated within us, either through role models or media, um, which we go to when we don't know about a subject, right? When, but if we can start exposing people more to different types of, um, of cultures, uh, different types of people, um, they can't hold two competing beliefs in their brain too long. And usually the one they have direct experience, like, oh, I met this person, they blew all the stereotypes out of my head, Um that one will prevail usually, right? Um, it's called exposure theory, and it's um, one of the most working theories of fighting prejudice. And right now, um, everything, like, no matter what you're in, we have, you know, we have the homeless shelters, right? And those, that, that box is where the homeless people go, right? Um, instead of allowing, you know, more of a community response um, and not isolating them into that 
that sector. Same with um, people with developmental disabilities. Um, I was quite ignorant before um, working with them because I never got to interact um, with a person with developmental disabilities because they were always in a separate classroom for me. And I, I think that's like the base of what's going on right now is that we have people with so many assumptions, um, but not a lot of reality like experience. So we need to find a way to start integrating people together, um, which, you know, that doesn't really look like it's going there, but that would be the prime goal um, in the end. <laughs> I yeah, I do think that community building is a thing that we people around our age give give a shit about. Like we're ready to we're ready to connect, we're ready to get together, we're ready to fix it. Yes. I think that's what's important from like so many different levels. And I think the the way you look at it, the well-roundedness you have between like mental health, mindset, community building and harm reduction, I think is is very, very, very important um, to bring to the table right now as we build new communities, as we build new ways to get together. And you have a depth of knowledge in it that I I just love. I do. Oh, well, thank you. Thank you. You too. Right? <laughs> Constantly learning from you. So no, I, I definitely think it's a, it's a huge, um, it's a huge problem right now. Um, and I think the pandemics is making it worse right now. Um, I know I don't interact with a lot of people other than VA Zoom. Um, and I don't even know how to interact with people once I once this ends. Um, it's going to be a lot of relearning. But, you know, maybe we did need to destroy some of our preconceived notions about interactions to rebuild new ones. Right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Interactions, each other, our system, the whole thing. The like, whole thing. Yeah. <laughs> I think the, like, I think it's so important, in my opinion, to consider that our entire society, social structures, personal structures, beliefs, expectations, everything is totally malleable, changeable, mm -hmm. flexible. Nothing is concrete. Not even the like the economy. We constructed that cognitively. Um, the, the whole kit and caboodle, like school systems, social systems, all of it can be reimagined if we knew how. Exactly. And you know what? I like earlier I was saying that like no transition is nice. Um, and I think that's why community is because it will be traumatic. It, unfortunately, there is no getting around it. Any huge change like that will be traumatic. Um, so we need each other to cushion that, um, to like really, you know, come together. Um, and just it, it starts with small things as well, right? Like you don't have to be this like overarching community person to help your community, even just talking to one person and bringing them maybe some food when they're down is all you need to do, right? It's nothing that's like huge or fantastic. It's through very small acts of kindness that we start to slowly change the world. Yeah. Actually yeah. giving a shit about <laughs> each other. Right. Right. I think, you know, that also happens with like neurosis though, um, is because it's so shame based. Um, 
and like most most addiction a lot of um, mental health is just so shame based right um that we almost do the opposite and we blame other people and we push other people away right um again most of the time when we talk to people we're um not really reflecting um you know, if someone, if we, someone makes us angry, it's not usually that person. It's usually something inside us that we have fear around and we meet, we put up protective walls, um, to help us protect ourselves, which is understandable too. Um, but very detrimental in the long run. Yeah. Yeah. Cause things like that project out from us that's how we see the world it creates like we see the world through the lens of those expectations and Mm -hmm. yeah it definitely like it's just I wish I wish people listening to this podcast this is one thing that I've wished (laughs) forever that people knew just an understanding that personal beliefs and personal responsibility are those things they're not right they're not societal for sure personal and so yeah. 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 Not we are not responsible for sorry, we are not at fault for our socialization, but we are responsible for it. For sure. For sure. And I think also like having uh like forgiveness within that process is a huge part. Um again, uh Teal Swan was saying that you need to forgive the person that you had to become to cope um with the trauma that you um went through. And I think I think that's a huge thing, not only to like learn humility um, through the art of forgiving yourself, right? And learning that, okay, so that you're allowed to make mistakes. You have a right to make mistakes and you're, you have the right to go out and try something and suck at it, right? And that includes relationships. Now, relationships, are, you know, some people say that they're just people, um, persons. They're not, right? They just had a lot of practice, right? Um, and forgive it. Like, I think once we learn to to, you know, forgive ourselves and not judge ourselves so harshly that we start to like understand where other people are coming from as well. And not saying that they have, um, you know, especially in today's political climate, not saying that some people don't have dangerous beliefs, right? Um, But learning that, you know, Angry is a secondary emotion to fear, and that person it must be very, very scared, right, in trying to protect themselves. And again, there is self-responsibility within their actions, of course. We all have self-responsibility and consequences, um, but maybe we can approach the situation um, a little bit lighter, So people aren't automatically feeling threatened when we're challenging their beliefs, right? Um, And that we're trying to, you know, bring them up to level instead of um, just assuming that they can never get better, right? Um, I wouldn't be in this type of work if I assumed that no one can get better. I feel everyone has the ability to change. Right, like a shift from call out to call in culture. Exactly. Right. And, you know, again, I know like, 
I, we can have this rhetoric right now and it's so much harder in person um, to do that, especially with um, super volatile people and especially with very aggressive um aggressive people that are very stuck in traditional um, ways and values um, and such. But I think, you know, like I, I always like there's a lot of clients that I've had that have been um, particularly difficult. And, um, you know, I always felt like I might have been going in circles with them, but sometimes you are realize that you're spiraling upwards and that you never start with scratch with someone, right? All the ideals that you're talking are planting seeds um, and they are being absorbed by them. Again, change is usually so minuscule um, that we cannot see it until after the fact, right? So um, I always try to take solace in that even though that I'm, maybe planting seeds that I'll never see um, flourish or blossom um, that they might one day in a certain situation. Right. So just continuing that dialogue of like a shift in perspective, because that's all it takes. Yeah. And what one final question before the final statement, what gives you the most hope that this shift that the shift is happening, the shift in mindset, the shift in perception, the the shift in the shit. (laughs) Well, just the fact that, you know, there's people already talking about it now. Um, Working in the social services, there are so many cool, wonderful, fantastic people. Like, um, and everyone, like, once you have one person, it ripples out. Right. And again, we might not see it immediately shift whatsoever, but, you know, as long as we can just keep having ripple effects and then the people that are changed by our ripple effects will start rippling effect out of them. Eventually, we're going to see a shift in perspective about it. Um you know, if our government is willing to work with us and be scientifically based, that is a whole nother discussion, but, right? Because that makes it a little hard with the barriers that they put up. Um, but, you know, it's, it's, if we can affect people um, without our government, right? If they want to do whatever they want to do, they can go ahead I don't have to follow them and I can affect my community, whatever they're doing. Right? Yeah, we can do community building without being involved in the actual system. <laughs> yes, exactly. Definitely. So, Zoe, what is your final statement for the people? Um, so my final statement would be very along those lines is that um, we usually have so much trust in our institutions and our organizations to um, better us and we, we almost shift responsibility to them. Um, but I would really urge not to shift that responsibility and to take it um, to take it on yourself and go out and do what you want to do and see the change, like be the change you want to see in the world. Right. Um, Because a lot of these institutions, even though they're built to help are, you know, there's a lot of barriers um, with red tape and such um, in a very, like a lot of housing um, 
a housing, oh, sorry, agencies, you're not like a lot of them have driving clients, but some of them don't. But like, it's not illegal for me. Well, right now, it probably is. But <laughs> I'm talking about in the near future when the restrictions have um, eased up a little bit. Um, that like, if my neighbor needs to get to their Suboxone appointment, and I'm worried about them actually making it, I can take them myself, right? Um, and, you know, I can give people naloxone I it's free at the pharmacy so I can you know always take one with me if there's someone that's looking like they might be nodding off I can always offer it to them you know really just like creating um community um yourself right because again we have um systems to do it but those systems um are really behind um, a lot of the time and they might be giving them basic needs for a lot of it, um, but not giving them that sense of community. They're still isolated in whatever community they're plopped in. Right. Um, and, and exploring other, other, like if, if you have any prejudice in your mind, go meet a person, right? <laughs> go talk to someone, right? Um, it might be scary at first, but again, everything's just practice. I used to have social anxiety. I used to hide in my house most of the time. Um, but you just have to keep pushing yourself um, to talk to different people. And honestly, uh, you learn le You learn so much. Um, the coolest thing about community is because you can't learn anything that you already know. You can never learn from yourself. We only learn off other people. So, so go out and you figure out the world, like broaden your reality. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Don't wait for funding. Don't wait for permission. Just do it. Just do it. Yes. <laughs> it's not a service. It's a support. Exactly. Right. And like, and again, there's a lot of things that are red taped with um, agencies that we can just do out of kindness of our own heart. Right. Um, again, like giving food to people, agencies, like there's a lot of red tape with health and such, but I can cook my neighbor something I can, I, for people who are, um, are, um, I call it spanging, but there's another one. Um, spare changing. <laughs> um, I always have a bunch of juice boxes and food in my car to give them, right? Um, just little little things like that, right? Yeah, yeah. Actually giving a shit about your community. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Perfect. Well, thank you very much for being on the show. I appreciate you so much. I always love talking to you. And thank you, thank you. Cool. Well, thank you for having me. And I definitely appreciate our talks. I hope they continue in the future. Oh, wait. <laughs> Where can people find you? www. Abscision. So com. I also have a Facebook page that if you want to look into previews of my book, just because I know people are like, what would an activity book for wellness be about? You can, I do do sneak peeks into each book that I have. So you can look them over, see if they're for you. Um, and yeah, that's where you find me. <laughs> Beautiful. I love it. Thank you. Thank you. And have a good evening. You too. <laughs> Cut.